Hey everybody, how's it going? Happy Sunday. God, thank you for today. Thank you for all the blessings we have in our lives. Especially this blessing of life that you've given us. Give us the strength and the peace and the understanding to do your will with it. You are our provider and our protector and our God. Thank you for all we have. We worship you, worship your sovereignty now together.
It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday To my home far away Where his glory Why should I let them 
Thanks. Have a seat, everybody. Good morning. How are you? Another beautiful fall day here in Fairbanks. It's great to have you all here. And if you're watching online, hey, how's it going? It's good to see you. You should come try it in person sometime. We are... <laughs> We're so glad to have you here. Eric's going to be up here in just a second. We got a little video to show you in a little bit too, not just yet, guys. Uh, But first we want to pray and then we'll continue with worship. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've told us what our goal should be, that you are our goal, that we should be running to the cross. Make us want to do that. Make us wake up every morning, every morning that is just a gift from you that you give. Make us wake up every morning wanting to run to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, kids, go learn about Jesus. For the rest of you, we're going to stay in worship.
July, large areas of Myanmar were affected by unusually heavy monsoonal rains. The extreme flooding and destruction that resulted has affected more than one million people across large parts of the country. Since the beginning of the crisis, we've been on the ground helping those who were already destitute before the flood arrived. Across central Myanmar and the Irrawaddy Delta regions, our team has provided assistance to 1,335 families. Our relief effort that was entirely made up of Karin staff delivered 49 metric tons of rice, 6,600 liters of drinking water, medicine, and other essentials. This has brought great relief to those facing food shortages due to displacement from their homes and the destruction of their crops. 
This relief effort is only possible thanks to you, our generous support community. With your help, we are ensuring these communities have what they need to get back on their feet and rebuild their lives. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody? Good? Awesome. Well, I'm excited about today. I get to preach about my favorite verse in the Bible, um, which I never thought I would be doing, so that's really cool. Um, Before we start, let's just open up a prayer, huh? Father, we come to you this morning just understanding that we are completely dependent on you. Whether that is the people of Burma, the people overseas, Lord, or even us in our own Uh, the securities of our home, Lord, we need your grace to supply for us and to to carry us in this world. Um, Lord, we thank you that you see all things, God, that you don't miss the ones who are losing their homes right now. You don't miss the pain and the destruction that's happening, God, and that you are sending your church to respond. So I pray that we would be part of that effort, Lord, that you would help us to be intentional in the way that we uh, respond to catastrophes around this world. Lord, and this morning that we would be intentional to respond to uh, the sin that's in our lives and, and the power we have to overcome it in you. Lord, from, from age to age, you are king. And all things are held together by you. So, Father, we just... Uh, marvel at you this morning. We thank you for uh, what you're going to do in this place. We thank you for what you're going to do in Burma. Lord, we thank you that your church covers this earth. So as the church of friends this morning, I pray that you would just uh, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Ushers, if you guys want to come forward, you guys might notice in your outline today, it's a little bit different. Um. I didn't really pray for the offering, did I? Father, thank you for everybody that gives in this church. Lord, we we pray that you would use it for the purpose of your kingdom, that we'd be good stewards with what you have given us, God, and that it would uh, ultimately just glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, if you notice your outline, it just has a few uh, verses on it. You're going to need a pen today, and the ushers have pens. So, if you want to follow along in your outline I would recommend you raise your hand if you don't have a pen, and there is ushers who have pens. Jeff fit like 50 in his pocket. Good job, Jeff. So, because um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, I tried to do it at the first service. I'll try a little bit harder. But I kind of wanted to just give some of you that have never really looked at how uh, we go about, how I go about the process of really breaking down a verse and finding what the subject is and what these things are. So I wanted to do it with you guys today. Um, So it'll give you sort of an opportunity to test out the waters when it comes to studying the Word. 
but also there's just some points that I want us to be intentional on highlighting and filling in and stuff. So if you have a pen, I'm going to be giving you some verses to put in the margins, some things to circle, and we'll go from there. Um, you're more than welcome to just uh, just sit and not write if you don't want to, though. This isn't a classroom, so don't feel like you're required. But today we're going to sort of move on from where we were last week. Not move on, but continue in uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Um, and today we're going to be in Second Peter 1, 1 through 4. These two verses tie together. These two sections of verses tie together so well. Um, and Second Peter 1, 3 has been my favorite verse for the last couple of years. Just because it's, it cuts through all of the haze and all the and if buts or what's or anything about what is offered to us in the power of God. And I love it because we can have so much preconceived ideas and so much disbelief. And you know, well, God could help me if this or this or this. But this is a definitive statement from the Word of God. And it's true for us today. And we have to grasp it if we're going to be able to walk in freedom in this world. So... With that being said, let's read through the text, and then we'll dive into it. Um, let's start in 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4, if you have your Bible, too, and you want to follow along. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Alright, strap on your seatbelt. Here we go. So, verse 1 starts right away in this letter. And a lot of times it's easy to just pass over these greetings, right? It's just Peter greeting the church. Um, so a lot of times what we can have the tendency to do when we're in the Word is we say, okay, that's a nice greeting, now let's get to the meat of it. But to do so is to miss some important truths, so I want to highlight them right now. Because right from the start of the letter, we see the power of the unity that, or the power of the gospel that unifies the church, that we've talked about for months. And Peter starts with this right at the bat. When this letter was written, there was probably still some dispute about whether the Gentiles and the Jews had equal standing in the faith. Um, Peter was an apostle. He was a Jew. Um, so his position as one of the heads of the church was to clarify things that there was misinterpretations of. So this is exactly where he starts. Um, and he starts by saying, all of us who have obtained a faith are of equal standings. We all have obtained a faith of equal standings. It is the same, whether you're Jew or you're Gentile. Now let me elaborate that a little bit for us today. Whether you're Jew or Greek, apostle or peasant, rich or poor, no matter your race, we have all obtained a faith of equal standings. How? Through the righteousness of Christ. Through the righteousness of Christ. 
um, we have been saved under grace, right? We are sustained through grace. And this morning, if you want to just underline obtained a faith of equal standing and put right by it Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, because... Uh, Paul gets into this a little bit more here. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. We have received a faith of equal standings with all the believers through time. Which means that your faith is as precious to God as Peter's. Your faith has as much worth to God as the greatest men through the history of biblical narration. Your faith is really important, and it's of equal standing. Now, last week we laid the foundation of faith. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is grace which saves us. It is grace which sustains us. As we work out our salvation, God is working within us his will and his power, and it, and it, it is his delight to do so. It is grace. And today and tomorrow and forever, grace is still the foundation. We are all on equal standing with God because of what? Because of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us in a free gift. Not of merit, but because of grace. There is no hierarchy in the gospel, in the church. There is no hierarchy. There is Christ and there is his church. I say this because I want you to know that when we come to this text today... It holds the same power for all of us. Okay? Because I think a lot of us, we can come into church and we can feel like, well, you know, if I just read my Bible the last week, I'd actually be able to get something out of this. Or I'd be able to actually hear something and feel like I'm not a hypocrite to walk in it. And I want you to hear today, you have received a faith of equal standing. So the power that we're going to be speaking of today is available for you. If you're struggling with addiction, if you're walking in shame, if you're feeling hopeless, or even if you're full of hope, God's grace is extended to you. It holds us all. And this is the context in which everything in these next verses must be understood. Grace. And Peter wants us to know God's grace in abundance because look at verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you In the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied. How? This is is unique in the word. For there to be a phrase like this. But he says, in the knowledge. Grace and peace are multiplied in you. To you. Through the knowledge. Of who? Of God. And of Jesus our Lord. One of the things I love about this. Uh, first couple verses too is because in verse one uh, it says a bold statement which goes against all other uh, religions uh, whether we look at even uh, uh, Jehovah Witness or Mormonism or why is there a difference between our religions Um, if you look in verse one 
what does he say? We've, we've received a grace of equal standing by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus. Jesus is clarified here as God. He is not a prophet only. He's not a good teacher. He is the God of heaven. And that is an important thing for us to note only because that is a context of the power that we're going to be talking about. Now, you might say you're splitting hairs, but I want us to know that when we look at this book, what Peter keeps coming to is the knowledge of Christ, the power of Christ, the weight of Christ's reign, His grace being extended to us. And that will have weight later, and it'll be clear why. But just know that we're talking about Christ here, which is beautiful. But in verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here starts the theme for the next two verses. Growing in the knowledge of God is not an option for Christians who want to grow in their faith. Growing in the knowledge of God is not an option for those who want to escape the corruption of this world, who want to walk a life of godliness, who want to walk a life of abundant grace and peace. It is not a bigger, it's not a piece of a bigger 12-step program here. It is the program. There is, as Peter notes here, a huge link between our knowledge of God and the power of grace reigning in our lives. And this truth only gets deeper in the next two verses. Now, when I was in seminary, or my Bible school a couple years ago, I did two semesters on biblical counseling and discipleship at eternity. Um, and it was awesome. But I must have quoted Second Peter 1, 3-4 every single week on every discussion post through the whole entire year. Literally. Whenever they would ask me any question about struggling or addiction or whether I feel like God has any control over it, it's just like anything. Second Peter 1, 3. Done. By the end of the year, the other students in my class, even on the online discussion posts, were like already waiting for it. Yeah, we know, Eric. Second Peter 1, 3. Stop. But listen to this. This is what the word of the, the Lord says. This is heavy. Verse 3. His divine power has granted us, I want you to underline this, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has granted us, and who is the us in this? Well, in your outline, if you want to draw an arrow from us up to where you underline obtained a faith of equal standing, he's talking to people who have obtained a faith of equal standing. How? Through the righteousness of Christ. So he's saying this divine power has been granted to us, the ones who are saved by grace, the ones who are being sustained by grace. And what does this divine power do? What does it do? It grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Literally, he is saying, Christ has given us everything we need to live lives of godliness. You talk about getting through the haze. You talk about, you know, can Christ really overcome my 46 years of fill in the blank? No, no, no. Christ has given us everything. Everything. 
Literally everything, not some things, not a lot of things, all things. Make sure you underline that, all things. That means that you could be the most alive person in Christ today. Why? Because Christ extends to you his power to live godly. We have been given equal standing in Christ, right? This equal standing with all the apostles, with all the believers through time. And we have been given everything we need to live godly lives. Man, there's a lot of holes in our faith, isn't there? Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's nice, Eric. That's good. Have you seen my life? It's a lot to grasp. This is huge. It's huge. And I, w- I want you to hear this clearly because this is so important to grasp. Because this means that the Christian faith is not merely a set of doctrines to be accepted. It is the power of God that is being extended to us. We are not believers because we believe this book is just the word of God. So we live moral lives and we do the things that it says it does. We are believers because we have been activated by the power of God and called to bring his glory into the world. That is Christianity. And Peter says that divine power has been granted to us. How? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of Christ. Power is given to those who rely on Christ's righteousness. And this is exactly what Paul says in Philippians, right? That God works in us. But I love the way that Peter puts it here because, I mean... Paul's word gets lost in translation. We know that. We talked about that last week. We're in the Greek. That word works means to do this, to, to sustain and to carry out and to give the might to do the task, right? But here, Peter uses divine power. I don't know about you, but when I hear divine power, I'm like, yeah, that, that right there. It's like, how much you want to bet I could throw a football over a mountain range after that one? You know, like, this is power, The wording is just so beautiful. It just does something even to me where I'm just like, man, not human power, divine power, power from God has been given to me. It's huge. And this power is experienced through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. As in verse 2, grace and peace are multiplied in the knowledge of Christ. So in verse 3, divine power is granted to us through the knowledge of Christ. But before we think this is just cognitive understanding, what does it say here? It says, through the knowledge of him who called us to what? To his glory and his excellence. So it's not just this knowledge where we're like, okay, yeah, Jesus is the son of God. Cool, pound it. Let's go on. No, no, no. This is like who's called us into the revelation of his glory and his excellence. This is Christ, the king. Okay, so this is where the power comes from according to verse 3. If you want to make a box around the word divine power, box that in in your outline. Um, Put a box around life and godliness. And put a box around knowledge. Because this is where we start to see the connecting factors of this verse. If you want to write over your box on his divine power, write source. 
His divine power is the source that grants us all things that pertain to what? The goal. So write goal over life and godliness. His divine power is the source. Life and godliness is the goal. Who does not want that? I want abundant life. I would love to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Being free from my sin. It's the goal. And through the knowledge. Knowledge, right, means. Knowledge is the means in which we attain this power. This is huge. This puts a whole new meaning to knowledge is power. Knowledge is divine power, apparently. Um, And then I want you to underline something here because... Glory and excellence are absolutely crucial. Because it's not that we've just come into the knowledge of this one, and so that that we know about Jesus, uh, we now receive his power. Because we all know there's a humongous difference between knowing something and knowing something, right? Like, I can know about the ocean by getting online and reading about the undercurrent and the undertow, and when I get in the water, I know it's going to sweep me out, because intellectually, I've been taught this. I know it. Or I can jump in the ocean and I can feel the power of that undertow draw me out to sea. That is knowing something. And, and, and to the, the clearest uh, translation of the world, that is what we've been called to know when we come into the knowledge of Christ. That we would know the very weight and presence of Him. That it would be something that overwhelms us and takes us. This one who has called us into His glory His glory and His excellence. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his sermon entitled, The Weight of Glory. He says, To please God, to be a real ingredient in in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work, or a father and a son, it seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain But so it is. That when we come into the knowledge of Christ, they're literally, and Paul talks about this in the Word, that there, he says, you know, not looking at the things that that I see right here in the momentary affliction, I look on, I put my hope in the what? The weight of glory on the other side. There's this thing that consumes us. It literally changes our very being. I was praying last night in my office for about an hour, and at one point, I just felt like the Spirit of God just press on me in the room. But it's something that's so other from anything else, because as it presses on you, it doesn't consume in you in a way that makes you feel constricted. It actually makes you feel free, right? So as it flows over you and it takes you over, you start to feel like you're home. Like this is how it's always meant to be. This is what He's calling us to. And why I think it's important to note that this is Christ we're talking about. His power, His calling uh, is going to be clear in a second. But I want to give you a couple pictures where it says the knowledge of His glory and excellence under glory, right? Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is what it says about Christ. This is our King. This is His glory. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ all things hold together. He holds all things. That is glory. I think so much of us get this picture of Christ, and I've talked about this so much, but we get this picture of Christ where we look at the Father and He terrifies us. Old Testament, right? But we look at Jesus and we think He's like this shepherd dude with a really cool surfer's haircut. It's just like, and we don't, we don't marvel at the glory of Christ. And if I've talked about something, I've talked about it a hundred times probably in this church, more than anything else, it's the picture of the throne room in Isaiah 6. That when Isaiah lifts his eyes to see heaven, this vision opens up for him. He sees these seraphim on both sides of this throne who are covering their wings with two wings. They're covering their face with two wings. They're flying with two wings and they're covering their feet with two wings. And they are proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory for 24 hours a day. And when their voices go out, these angels' voices go out, it says the threshold of the door of God's throne room shakes. Which gives us an idea of the immense power these angels carry. These angels are seraphims, which literally translates burning ones, which means they cast off light, right? And what are they doing? They're trying to shadow themselves Beings of light trying to shadow themselves from the glory that is coming from the throne because it is so holy, it is so bright, even if you're a being of light, you have to cover yourself. What an incredible picture of awe. Like, incredible picture of glory. Isaiah is seeing, and here this, this one is sitting on the throne and he's consumed in light. Now, why do I bring this up? We're talking about Jesus here. Because I want you to write these two things down. Isaiah 6, underneath uh, glory and excellence, and John 12, 41. Because if you've never come into the knowledge of God's, Jesus' glory, get ready. In this chapter in John... Jesus is doing a triumphal entry. They're putting down branches of palm trees and crying, Hosanna. And you go down all the way to verse 41, and someone is, is quoting Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And what they're quoting from is the verses right after this throne room in Isaiah 6. And so they, they're talking about Isaiah 6 here, and then listen to what it says in verse 41. It says, Isaiah said these things, this image of the throne, right? The glory of God, these seraphims who are covering themselves, because he saw the glory of him and spoke of him. Who's the him in this? It's Jesus. Verse 42, nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of being kicked out of the synagogue, they did not confess it. 
for they love the glory of man more than the glory of God. The picture of the throne room in Isaiah is Christ. I don't know if that shakes you like it does me, because I expect there to be this picture of the Father. You know, we, we look at this consuming fire picture of the Father, but this is the picture of the one who was on the throne and then said in Philippians 1.5 or 2.5, did not account a th- godliness a thing to be grasped, but lowered himself from this picture amongst the worshiping of seraphim who are covering their faces because it is Christ who is holy. And he looks to us and he says, I will lower myself from this throne to come and die for you. Oh my goodness, this is glory and excellence. So the knowledge of him who's called us to the reality, the reality that he is the king of heaven who lowered himself for us. This is the context, this is the means in which we attain power. But it goes further. We're getting there. Look at what verse 4 says. By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So what is he saying there? One thing I want you to know is that by which, that which there is plural. You can't see it in the English, but it is in the Greek. So draw a line from that word which to the words glory and excellence because it's by which through his glory and excellence what does he do he grants us his great and precious promises they are great and they are very precious because he is very glorious and he is very excellent and we have to catch this okay because the power grants us to live lives a lot, grants us to life and godliness. This power is attained through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His glory and excellence. Through the revelation of His glory and excellence, we then hear this King call to us and say, my grace is sufficient. So where is the power? The power is in the promise. Because the knowledge of God isn't just for the sake of knowledge. The knowledge of God leads us to the reality of His love and the power of His promise. That we would marvel at the reality of this King, the excellence and glory of this King, and that we would marvel as He would dare utter the words, even in your weakness, my strength is perfected. This is love. And this... This is power. All our learning, all our study through the Bible is not an end in itself. It is to get promising, hopeful knowledge that has the power to transform our broken lives. Because look at this. At the end of verse 4, how do we end this whole verse here? Where does the corruption of the world come from? The corruption comes from desire. Sinful desire. Other translations say passions or lusts. 
But corruption comes through sinful desire, which means, and we have to catch this, the battle against corruption and sin and addiction in your life is fought foremost on the plane of desire. It is not an intellectual battle. It is a battle of desire. But I thought you just said power comes through knowledge. I did. But we have to catch this. Please don't miss this. Peter is saying that divine power comes through knowledge. The Christ who calls us into his excellence and glory. But remember where that glory and excellence lead us. To his precious and very great promises. And what do promises do? For us. They fulfill our desires. They fulfill our needs. They relieve our fears. They steal away our pain. They give us hope. They strengthen us in our weakness. They are the light in the darkness. Promises fulfill our desires. Do you get where I'm going with this? God has never called us to get into the Word so that we can fill our 20-minute-a-day quota of being a good Christian. That is not the point. He has called us to come to the word with hearts longing to be satisfied and be swept up in the beauty of his promises. The battle of corruption against corruption and sin is fought on the plane of desire. Promise for promise. Because sin promises things, doesn't it? Why would we want it if it doesn't? It is a promise extended to us from the enemy. Saying, it, even if just for a moment, you know, all you got to do is taste. It's good. This is good. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to do that too much. Just, you know, I know that you need that desire to be filled. It's right for you. It's your right to be fulfilled. So just do this. You know, if you get on the computer and you, you just look at it a little bit, it'll just help you with your struggle because then you won't have to think about it for the next couple of days. It's actually helping you. Sin promises us things. And so how does the word say we combat those promises? That sinful desire. Through the power of God's promise. Through the power of God's promises to us. The powers and the promise. That is where knowledge of him is supposed to lead us. His great and precious promises. Now, you might say, oh, man, Eric, you know, that's easy for you to say because you've never been addicted to something for as long as I have, or you don't understand the baggage I have. Do you realize that verse 3 is uh, definitive? There's no if, and, or buts about it. It says, his divine power has granted us. Those who believe in him have put our trust in Christ's righteousness, have granted us everything we need for life. In godliness. There's no but. I don't care how long you've been addicted to what you are. And neither does God. Because the sufficiency of his power is not dependent upon your ability to walk out of sin. It's dependent upon his perfect promises we've seen through the word. Which he extends to you as power. I mean, take this picture for example. Abraham. Listen to what Paul says about Abraham in Romans 4. In hope. Abraham believed against hope. He believed against what? That sounds like my life sometimes, right? In hope, Abraham believed against hope. That he would become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. 
He's a spring chicken. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Listen to this. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised to do. And Abraham is just part of a bigger story. Because if we're going to talk about the promises of God, we can start nowhere else than all the way back at the beginning. The redemptive story of history. That in the garden, God promised to crush the serpent through the seed of Eve. And this promise would come through Abraham, yes. And through his son Isaac, yes. And through the tribe of Judah, yes. Promises fulfilled. Through the line of King David and this promised Messiah would hold the title prophet, priest, and king. He would be born in the town of Bethlehem through a virgin mother. He would live a sinless life and proclaim good news to the poor. He would proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set those free who are oppressed. And yes, it is promised that he would be beat for our transgression and crushed for our iniquity. But this promised son of God would not stay dead. He would pay the full payment due to our sin and death would lose its sting forever. These are the promises of God. The faithfulness of God. They are for us. Which is why Paul says in Corinthians 1.20, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. You want to know if God is faithful, look at his son. Which is why I think it's beautiful that Peter, he, he makes Christ the center of the glory here. It's Christ calling us. It's his power working in us. Why? Because the very evidence of Christ in our lives is a testimony of God's faithful promises through history. His promises continue because we see the faithfulness of God's promises everywhere in this world. In sending his son to redeem this world, but they're alive for us today. Today, Have you ever thought about this? That when we get into the word, this is not just good one-liners, but this is the words of the God who created everything out of nothing. And he's speaking to your heart. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise from your king. His grace is sufficient for you and his power is perfected in your weakness. That is a promise His divine power has granted us all things to live godly lives. That is a promise. For everyone who is in Christ is no longer a slave to sin. God wants us to stop focusing on what we see around us, how we see ourselves, and start holding on to his promises like Abraham did. It said in in Romans 4 right after that, that it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness because he held on to the promises of God. His power in us is through His promises for us. And He calls us to believe. Faith is what links us to grace. We are saved by grace. We are sustained by grace. And as our faith puts our hope and our whole being in grace, we are linked to grace. And again, some of us might say, but promises are just words. That's all they are. 
You know, how many people in my life have promised to do something and failed? How many people in my life have promised to do something and have left me broken, helpless, and insecure about myself? Or even myself. How many times have I woken up in the middle of the night and said, God, if you just take this from me, I promise I will never do it again. And yet the next day I do it. So we look at our track record of promises and we broadcast them up to God like that does anything to him. These are not our words. This book is not our words. When we come to God's word, we come to the one who spoke creation into being, who said, let there be light, and there was light because God's words hold the power to demand light to be made. Listen to Psalms 33, 6 through 9. You might want to write this down by divine power. Psalms 33, 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. When he speaks something, there is power. And so he's called us to come into the knowledge of the one that he sent. To come to the knowledge of Christ. To be immersed in the amazing nature of his glory that he lowered himself, Isaiah 6, all the way to the cross for us. And that king whom seraphim hide their faces from is the one who speaks to us and his promises granted to us and says, my grace, my grace is sufficient. I love what John Calvin says about this. He says, all things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. He promises immortality. We are surrounded by mortals and corruption. He promises, uh, or he he declares that, that he counts us just. We are covered in our sin. He testifies that he is kind to us. Outward judgment threatens his wrath. What then is to be done? We must, with closed eyes, pass by ourselves in all things connected to us, that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true to his word. There is power in the promise, church. Josh, if you want to come forward. One of the things I was thinking about this week, too, is that if there is power in the promise, and we're not... We're not tapping into that, right? We're not getting into the word. We, we're, we're, this is foreign to us. If this word is not a part of your life, you will die. Because this word contains the promises of God, and they are the only divine power we have to stand against corruption. But I was thinking, where do we lend our powers to in our lives if not the promises of God? Where do we lend our powers to? And how many of us have prayed a similar thing as this? in the middle of the night or in the day or whatever or in our mind, we're crying out to God being like, don't you see what I'm dealing with, God? Don't you see what I'm stuck in? Don't you see the addiction that I'm in? I can't get out of it. And I prayed and nothing's changed. Where are we lending power to? 
in that moment. Our sin. See, it's so easy as Christians to look at our lives and to justify that yes, we are absolutely broken. And yes, this situation looks absolutely hopeless. But what we tend to do is we tend to take that hopelessness and present it to God like he doesn't already know and he hasn't already provided a way. And so even in our prayers, the power we lend is not to his promises, but to our sin. And we say, God, you can't take this. It's been years. Or I want it. Or whatever it might be, but you can't take this. And he says to us, Would you come into the reality of who I am, child? Would you come into the reality of what I have done? What redemptive history has shown through the faithfulness of God's promises, climaxing in my death and resurrection for you, and the resurrection power that I extend to you? And will you hear the words that I speak? That my grace is sufficient. The issue is not that the power is not there or that you're too far gone in your addiction to ever be free. The issue is that our focus has been off-placed. God has never called us to evaluate our situation and then go to him if we think he can help. He is called to evaluate the faithfulness of who he is to marvel at the faithfulness of who he is, to marvel at the glory of who he is, to be overwhelmed with the reality of the picture of Isaiah 6 and then the cross, and then to be swept up in the incredible promises that his word offers to his children. Because when that happens, look at the context of the last verse. I love this. He says, by which we have been granted to us his very great promises, right? So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Just underline partakers of divine nature and draw an arrow up to godliness in life. Because that's exactly, it's just, he's saying the same thing. We become partakers of the divine nature through the promises of God. We become partakers of a spirit that the, the living God's spirit will be moving in us and building in us his fruit. As it talks about in Galatians 5. And then he says, having escaped from the corruption that is of the world because of sinful desire. It's an afterthought here. Where is the focus? The focus is on his promises. Having escaped is past tense. Because that's what happens when we come to a king who has all the power and the authority in the universe. The issue is not our sin. It's where have we put our faith in? Where have we lended our strength to grow is it in his promises? So for us today, I would say, if you are not in this word, we do not read this word as Christians because it is a good Christian thing to do. We read this word because in this word contains all the promises of God, his faithfulness to them, and those promises are power for our lives. What would happen in your life? Let's just pretend for a second that God truly is God. Amazing enough. And we started going to this word and reading it and saying, these two promises today I will set my faith on because God is faithful to his word. And our hope and our our sights and everything that we are is not based on our situation, but it's based on his promise. Do we have the faith to believe that our situations would change? 
Not because of our doing, but because of God's faithfulness. This week, get into this word every day. If you're struggling with something and you're not in this word, you will struggle till you die. Get into this word every day. Soak on the promises of God. The reality of who Christ is, the knowledge of who he is, the glory and excellence of who he is has to outweigh the sinful desires of our flesh. How will that ever work if we don't come and find who he is, who he declares himself to be? It is in his word we find life and strength because these hold his promises. So this is how I want to end today. These are some of the promises of God that I prayed about and I just really felt like I would love to say. These are just a small piece. This is God speaking to your heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 36, that is speaking of the new covenant that Christ established in his blood. That covenant is eternal. It is for you. These are the words of Jesus. What is impossible with man is possible with God. That is a promise. Come to me, all who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dis- dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not uncommon to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of, of escape that you may be able to endure it. What is the way of escape? His promises. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and will not faint. And Christ says to us today, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God, we need a revelation of who you are. Christ, we need a revelation of your glory. We need a revelation of your excellence. And in the midst of being overwhelmed by who you are, speak to our hearts your words. Lord, that the power of our sin that was already overcome at the cross would just be an afterthought compared to the power of your promises to our lives. It's not an easy road. 
we struggle and we toil towards you. But Lord, we thank you that you are our strength. You are our rest. You are the one working in us, both to change our will, our desire, our pleasure, and to strengthen our work and bring it to completion. For you have promised marvel at your love. Prayer team, if you want to come forward, if any of you guys, you've never experienced freedom, I want you to come forward today. I want you to make a commitment to come forward and confess your sin and start giving the power you've been giving to it to the promises of God. Please come forward today if you struggle. If you don't know God, We would love to pray with you and extend to you his divine power through the knowledge of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is the key. He is the only way we will ever have life and life abundantly and extends it to us. Amen, church. Have an awesome week. Soak in the promises of our King. Yeah.